Welcome to the Corecast, where we interview Jewish leaders and discuss issues relevant to the Jewish community in Canada and around the world. I'm your host, Richard Rabkin. My guest today is Mike Fagelman. Mike is the Executive Director of Honest Reporting Canada, ensuring fair and accurate Canadian media coverage of Israel. Mike, thanks for coming to the Corecast. Uh, it's my pleasure to be here. I'm honored. Okay. Thank you. Okay, great. Well, why don't we, before we get into Honest Reporting, let's talk about you a little bit. Maybe you can kind of tell us some of your background, where you grew up, where you're from, and, and in that we'll get the journey towards honest reporting. Sure. Uh, I have to say I am a proud Thornhiller, born and bred. Uh, and I, I, I'll tell you, Jewishly, uh, I grew up rather secular. And um, how I came to, to like the organization Honest Reporting uh, was I found that there was a, uh, an opportunity to volunteer for Honest Reporting. I'd been a, a broadcaster for CBC for many years in Ottawa, TV and radio, and I I just previously done the Birthright Israel trip, where which kind of stoked a need to get involved, support Israel, and I actually found that there was a, a poster in the garbage. We were walking by the old city, Bonkers Bagels at the time, if you know the place, and it, it said, you know, fight media bias, help Israel. It showed this picture of of the media taking, you know, depicting Israel as this sort of uh, versus the Palestinians, a David versus Goliath scenario, and I thought, you know what? My journalistic training uh, might uh, there might be a good fit. Uh, I used to go to Carleton. I studied international reporting there, and I thought, okay, maybe I'll volunteer, see if I can get involved. Uh, I found out that there was a, uh, just starting, and this is about 14 years ago, uh, a local affiliate for Honest Reporting, the International Media Watchdog Organization for Israel, and it was Honest Reporting Canada. So I, I volunteered. And as it turns out, they were looking for uh, an assistant director at the time. Then I became the executive director and, and founding director and have been at the organization uh, for about 15 years. Wow, that's so interesting. So can we take it back a second sure. to when you were working, you said, at CBC as a broadcaster? Yeah. What exactly did you do? I was an anchor uh, for TV and radio. I loved it. I had a, a passion for journalism. I loved the local beat. Uh, I found it really challenging, a lot of fun. Uh, but I also looked at the, the, the sort of trajectory of news, uh, and I thought uh, perhaps I, I, I had some foresight into thinking there's going to be a lot of cutbacks. It's going to be incredibly challenging. There's going to be a lot of attrition uh, to be uh, an observant Jew uh, in Ottawa is not as easy as perhaps Toronto. And then also uh, in that in that beat, it's really tough. There's a lot of travel. So, uh, but I loved it, and uh, and and I brought my skills to to honest reporting. Um, but again, you know, I, I grew up uh, as a secular yid, um, and uh, I think it's there's a lot of permutation in one's yiddishkeit, and I think honest reporting brought me closer to Israel, gave me that fiery passion uh, to want to do something, to want to stand Israel in high esteem, uh, and and to do it, uh, you know, to be the best kiddush Hashem you can be. Um, Putting uh, putting Israel in, in positive light that it that is deserving, and when necessary, calling out those who seek to brand Israel, uh, you know, an apartheid state, uh, to have it be on the receiving end of boycotts, of uh, divestiture campaigns, sanctioned campaigns, uh, and shaming them. Uh, and uh, you know, it's it's been it's been quite the battle year over year. Right, that's so interesting, and of course we're going to get to that in a second. I'm just so curious about your trajectory and how you you moved from kind of um, just a CBC 
journalist anchorman to to honest reporting. When you were in that phase where you were working at CBC and you mentioned that you kind of did have um, a, a religious awakening of sorts, did you yourself before that time, did you yourself see, oh, some of this coverage is biased or was that, were you not sensitive to it yet? So I'll be honest, I wasn't sensitive. In fact, when I was working at CBC, I had very little understanding of Israel at all. Um, I, again, I came from uh, very little Jewish education in my upbringing. Um, I, I actually remember as a student in Ottawa walking in a, a, a pro-Palestinian rally, uh, again, just not not being aware of the issues. And I, I perhaps uh, was, was interested in, you know, rallying for the downtrodden and underdog. And um, so, yeah, it, it, it took uh, it took a bit of a reawakening. Uh, you know, when I when I was at the CBC, I, I think I appreciated that there was kind of a, a lowest common denominator way of thinking. Um, there was little contrarian thought. Um, there was certainly a pervasive left wing bias. There wasn't uh, a tolerance for divergent viewpoints. So um, conservative ideology pro-Israel ideology. I had colleagues who uh, occasionally would make remarks that were bigoted and xenophobic, never encountered anti-Semitism per se, but there was othering. There's no question about that, at least that I, that I felt. I knew for me at least, and, and everybody has their own experience, but I knew for me it wasn't going to be the experience that, that I wanted to grow up in. So what was it then? I guess it was coupled with your your return to observance. But what exactly was it that made you look at this with a fresh set of eyes? Was it, you know, instantaneously you become more observant and therefore you see the righteousness of Israel's cause and the anti-Israel bias? Or was it something else? How did that work? Well, I mean, I got to say, I, I started off with, with replete with ignorance, really. It just uh, I didn't have a baseline. So, um, it was just all, um, all inspiring. Uh, you know, I went on a couple, I went on the birthright trip, which was my first trip to Israel. I went on uh, another trip called Heritage Retreats, which was to give me a, uh, more inspiration in, in terms of my Yiddishkeit. I started leading trips. I got involved with Hasbara Fellowships Canada, uh, which was uh, training pro-Israel students on campus to get involved. Uh, and then I, I saw what it was like in Canada. I saw, Areas where we didn't have uh, a strong activist response that Israel and the Jewish community needed. And I think it's, listen, I think Hashem gives us uh, a certain perspective that we, we see a shortcoming in the world. We have a unique uh, viewpoint where uh, we take uh, personal responsibility for whatever that shortcoming is because he's given us uh, some kind of a skill and strength and perseverance. And uh, and we have to deploy those resources to uh, as a tikkun to fix it. That's amazing. So it was somewhat of a calling that you felt like you were called to this juncture, and the skills that you had were were kind of coming to uh, the right place at the right time. There's no question. Um, it was kind of like serendipity, uh, and I felt it was my calling. I felt it was my personal responsibility um, because it just it meshed so well with what I do. I've always been very interested in politics. I've always been uh, interested in accountability, um, the pursuit of truth, uh, not allowing um, what what the media put out as, as subjective news uh, to be conflated as versus objective news, that there is versions of the truth and not objective truth. Um, and uh, and I see the impact. I see the impact that, uh, that media bias can have. 
where, um, you know, because Israel is misrepresented in the news, our policymakers make uh, jaundiced, uh, very dangerous policy provisions, and that the the people, uh, the masses, uh, you know, think that Israel is, you know, the equivalent of North Korea or Iran on the basis of of uh, the media's opprobrium, uh, the disproportionate coverage that we see quite often. So let's talk about that coverage now, and we'll dig down a little bit. Talk to us, and especially for listeners who aren't aware of what Honest Reported Canada does, sure. what exactly do you do? So I'll tell you, we, we started off in uh, in 2003 as an entity with just a couple hundred members. These were people who would read something in the newspaper, not necessarily know what was problematic, what was biased, uh, but would want to respond. And sometimes they would write, uh, you know, not so effectively, and we would teach them how to engage with more moderation instead of being knee-jerk, reactionary, and strident. Um, and they weren't able to distill, perhaps, what was wrong with the media report. So we would uh, work with them, educate them, connect our grassroots subscribers to different sources so that they were informed about the issue and not just regurgitating talking points. And we've grown that membership base from just a couple hundred members to 30,000. And we're hoping to grow to 35,000 in the next couple of years. And we wanted uh, a number of different responses. We wanted a, a reactive response, which was, you know, a news organization says something that's inaccurate, that's unfair, that's unbalanced, and then we would mobilize our base to complain, uh, calling for corrective action, remedial action, sometimes asking for reports to be published in the future, ensuring more balance. Uh, we also wanted to be proactive. Um, you know, I joke that I'm, I view myself as a professional complainer, but what I'm trying to do is build a rapport with the media, engage in a dialogue, be uh, be cooperative, and then hoping to sensitize them uh, to prevent bias from even occurring rather than being the cure-all for it. And then hoping that, you know, if we encourage, if I sit down with a journalist uh, at any leverage point, whether it's a senior editor, a junior uh, reporter just fresh off the beat, whether it's in politics, whether it's in arts or entertainment or business, if I'm able to build a rapport, perhaps I can convert that relationship into, you know, encouraging, whether it's the Globe and Mail, the Toronto Star, CBC, to, to report about Israel perhaps in, in a positive uh, uh, lens. Not necessarily about the conflict per se, uh, but, you know, talking about Israel is one of the leading nations when it comes to, uh, to life sciences, to medicine, technology, things like that. Um, I, I'm not a blanket apologist. For the government of Israel, you know, Israel is deserving criticism like any other nation, though when it's held to a unique standard, that's when anti-Semitism comes into play. So if the media are going to cover the conflict, they have every, every right to. I just want them to do them to do their job fairly and accurately without um, their personal opinion included in their reporting. But I got to say, there, there are a lot of situations where that happens, where journalists uh, though they are tasked to be politically neutral and tasked to be objective, unfortunately, their their personal viewpoints uh, get colored in their news reporting. Sometimes that's on the basis of the kind of sources that they handpick that uh, are aligned with their personal viewpoints. And other times it's just in the the basis of the kind of news that they tend to report about that is often uh, reflexively critical of Israel. So we monitor them. I mean, we do this in a number of ways on top of our membership being our eyes and ears who are covering newspapers throughout the country, radio stations, TV. Uh, we monitor everything from print broadcasts, electronic, English, French, 
we do that by having subscriptions to every newspaper throughout the country. We listen and watch everything um, in a similar sense as, as core, being being vigilant to make sure uh, that the integrity for you, the integrity of Kashruth is held to the high standard. We want to ensure that the high standards of journalism is put up there. Right. It's interesting that you make the analogy to core because uh, oftentimes when I speak, I say, how many mashkichim, how many kosher supervisors do you think are on our payroll or, or affiliated with our organization? So I tell people there are actually thousands. Why? Because every one of you out there is really a mashkiach for a COR, right? Because, you know, you're, we oftentimes will get, uh, an email from a consumer who's in the grocery store and who, you know, saw a certain product that looked a little funny and then they send us an email and, you know, oftentimes it's not an issue and we explain why, but oftentimes it is an issue and we're able to, to jump on it. So I guess that's kind of a similar, model that you're using, I think it sounds like with some of your members who are able to mobilize for you. Yeah, I mean, like, I have to say, like most Jewish organizations, our company is probably as lean as it comes with, believe it or not, just two full-time staffers. But uh, the strength of our organization is we have a lot of people who are our eyes and ears, without which we couldn't do what we do. Um, I should also say that the watchdog function that we have, though... Um, we are our niche and our exclusive focus is the media's coverage of Israel and the Middle East. There are hundreds of other media watchdog organizations out there, whether it's um, you know women's rights issues, environmentalism, different political lobbies, and different constituencies. So um, the the viewpoint of the media towards our work, um, they're actually uh, more often than not, albeit there are always going to be exceptions. Uh, they're actually quite appreciative of the role that, that we play, uh, largely because with the, the cutbacks in news, there's uh, a cutback in, in the editorial oversight, So, uh, which means that there are less people uh, doing fact-checking in, in the news business now than there were a decade ago. So we provide the news organizations with an important resource to ensure the veracity of their content. So they're, uh, it's, it's not an antagonistic relationship. So you're saying that when you call, let's say, some of these reporters who you've either you've developed a relationship with or you haven't, they're not saying, oh, great, honest reporting's calling again. Well, I mean, listen, there there, there are going to be, unfortunately, some people who are not open to a dialogue. They're um, exceptional, I think, more often than not. Um, and believe it or not, they'll pick up the phone. Uh, they'll profusely thank us, especially those instances where we caught something, perhaps it had just been sent out over the wire, we saw the issue, and before it got to a larger audience, we were able to, to point out the issue, and they were able to correct it. They're tremendously grateful for that. Um, listen, I think deep down, I, I don't think, at least in Canada, and I'll speak for Canada exclusively, the Canadian media, I don't think we're dealing with um, people at, at different levels of the news business who are, who are bigots, who have a, an axe to grind when it comes to Israel. I don't think these are people who wake up day in, day out and say, I'm going to write a nasty article about Israel because I don't like the Jewish state. And for, quite frankly, I don't like the Jews. What I do think is it's really tough to do the job of a, being a Middle East reporter. And I think it's really hard to procure balance over time of these issues. And then there's all, you know, tons of impediments out there. It's an expensive business. You have um, the, uh, the lexicon of the Middle East, which is like a ticking time bomb. You appropriate one word over the other, you're going to get hundreds of letters. And listen, when you're doing this job, and then the reality is that you have 
hundreds of people who are watching you. Uh, albeit, I think uh, the fact that the news organizations know that we're watching them, um, and they've told us this uh, in person, they, it, it actually prevents the, the the prejudicial coverage that ends up coming up. Um, otherwise, they would have uh, they would be under unrestrained. That's so interesting. You're kind of like the mashkiach of the uh, of the broadcasting industry when it comes to Israel. I I never looked at myself right. like that. Although I've always always wanted to be a, a mashkiach. There you before. go. Okay, it's, it's always been a lifelong ambition. Right, right. Um, yeah, in a sense, I, I think it's apropos. So, can we then discuss some of these issues? We've yeah. been talking about it in a general way, but can we look at a few specific examples sure. so we see what the issue is exactly, and then perhaps what the the honest reporting follow-up is. Sure. So I'm going to, and I'm going to point out examples that happened in the past couple of days. You know, we're not talking issues that have happened years ago. Uh, on a daily basis, we're dealing with the media. We're having a dialogue. We're uncovering issues of bias. Uh, I'll mention an example just from uh, a little over a week ago where you had a Toronto Star report. So, Richard, I'm going to show you the, the article right here. Right. So and it says, two Palestinians killed by Israeli forces in separate events. That's the headline. That's the headline, right? So the reality is people read headlines, sometimes a ratio of three to one over the adjacent article. It's what's shared over social media. Uh, most people are, well, I hope to not generalize here, but a lot of people are rather lazy and, uh, and won't read the, uh, the longer uh, form of the article. So what was the message that the Toronto Star gave based on a wire source that two Palestinians were killed by Israeli forces? Now, what's the context behind that? What was the situation of the deaths of these Palestinians? Well, untold by the Toronto Star, one of these Palestinians, uh, I think he was an 18-year-old, uh, at the Damascus Gate in Jerusalem, had tried to stab two Israelis, did stab one quite seriously, and was actually killed by responding security forces. But you wouldn't know that from this headline. This headline um, inverted, uh, inverted the truth. It made the victim uh, the terrorist and the terrorist the victim. And, uh, and it's incredibly misleading. We don't know the fact that, you know, this is some, the person who was killed, uh, wasn't a martyr or an innocent civilian on the Palestinian side. It was somebody who had, uh, was bloodthirsty, who had tried to intentionally murder an innocent civilian. Uh, according to de- dictionary standards, that's what we call a terrorist. But that's not what the media told. And this is an article that it's, it's compounded because it's read by tens of thousands, if not more. It's recirculated over social media. The reach of media bias, again, which tells this one image that Israelis are killing Palestinian teens. That's the kind of narrative that the media and, and anti-Israel proponents would like to get out. Uh, it goes viral. Uh, how we dealt with this. First off, we found out, out about this because one of our members sent us an email and said, this isn't, I, I saw this news coverage in Israel. This isn't what happened. That's, that's just not true. What do we do about it? So in this instance, we contacted the Toronto Star. Um, this is one of those rare instances where I'm, I'm saddened to say that they actually didn't take corrective action. Uh, they kind of passed the buck. So we filed the complaint, and the Star got back to us and said, well, you know what, this is an article that was originally produced by the Associated Press, so uh, we're, we're kind of hands-off. And I said to them, that's totally inappropriate, and uh, more, more than anything, uh, whatever, irrespective of who the source is, uh, you know, you have to maintain the accuracy of the content on your platform. You have to take responsibility for it. Uh, they have not done so. And we, you know, encouraged our members to complain to their public editor, who's kind of like an ombudsman, and nothing. So um, this is kind of one of those exceptional circumstances where 
I would say, that certain news organizations feel immune to criticism, feel above it, and are untouchable, and don't care. And it, it's quite worrisome that they could allow, they, they would have no problem with unfair, slanted, and, and terribly misleading news being on their platform. So are, are you kind of calling out the Toronto Star as one of those Absolutely. outlets uh, that feels that they are above reproach? In this, well, I'm not, I'm gonna, I always look at things by case by case basis. In this particular instance, I don't think they were adherent to their own proclaimed standards, uh, for journalistic accountability. Uh, and I, I think it's a, a worrying sign. You know, had they, and I, I should say I'm not, I'm not the biggest proponent of corrections. You know, they are, they're read on, you know, they're on page A2, they're 30 words long. It's, it's not the beat and end all. The real issue was the editor who okayed, you know, that this report be broad, broadcast and published to the masses, uh, made a serious, uh, it, uh, lapse in, had a serious lapse in judgment. I'd like to, to see some kind of an acknowledgement, even behind the scenes. I don't need a public naming and shaming. So it had the star said, you know what? I, I see the, I see the, uh, the issue that you're pointing to. In the future, I think we're going to um, endeavor to, you know, include more context. To a degree, I would have been satisfied, but to to be entirely pushed off, uh, it's not a good sign. And I mean, uh, I should mention, you know, like the the, the Toronto Star um, has a long history of really critical, unfair reporting when it comes to Israel. Um, historically, if you go over a decade ago, uh, the Jewish community here in Toronto was so concerned with the Star's coverage that uh, there was actually kind of a divestiture campaign in the sense where people were advocating for uh, subscriptions to the Star to be cancelled because of anti-Israel reporting for Jewish-related uh, businesses to not take out advertisements. Uh, Policy-wise for our organization, it's not something we support. In fact, if there's a news organization that is putting out critical, unfair, unbalanced, uh, lacking context news about Israel, we actually want more eyes and ears on that paper uh, more than anything. Uh, but that, that's the history of the star and it's, it's, it's not a good sign. And that's just one example. Can we, on that note, maybe can we do this now and get back to some more examples? But would, mm-hmm. would you be able to run down a list of some of the news outlets here in Canada, both print and, um, either online or television? What are some of the ones that are reporting honestly and what are some of the ones that aren't? So the biggest habitual offender. Uh, when it comes to putting out uh, unfair reporting about Israel, has been, uh, and I can say this, you know, uh, for the past couple of d- a decade and a half, uh, it has been the CBC. CBC, uh, it, I wouldn't cast uh, the CBC as having a systemic bias against Israel, um, and I'm saying this publicly on, a, on, on your podcast, uh, but I would say, because, you know, there are 10,000 plus employees at the CBC, most don't know about Israel. Most don't care. They're mo- I'd like to think the lion's share are rather agnostic about our issues. But I have to say that they are our number one uh, um, reference point about complaints. Uh, why they put out so much content, uh, what, so much content that's critical about Israel, it's really hard to say. They, perhaps it's because they uh, incubate uh, an environment of hard left, Critical journalists 
uh, and then part and parcel of, of the personal biases of those people, it uh, it creates certain kind of news coverage, which is quite critical of Israel. So there's no question, you know, I'm dealing with uh, my my colleagues at the CBC on a day-to-day basis. And again, they're, while they're grateful, uh, we're seeing, you know, just nonstop bias. I'll mention a, a couple of Yeah, do you have any examples? Yeah, yeah, sure. So here, this was last week, CBC Radio on their radio program. It's called World at the Six. Uh, they had a, a radio show that had claimed that uh, Mike Pompeo, who's the U.S. Secretary of State, that he, uh, at a private event in, in the U.S., that he admitted, in parentheses, that uh, the U.S. peace plan that they're putting together was tilted in Israel's favor. So we do our fact-checking, like any you know, reasonable organization. We call out the CBC and we say, okay, where are the facts to support this claim? that Pompeo said, we are biased in favor of Israel. And it's just not the case. In fact, the uh, remarks that Pompeo had actually made is he said something to the effect of, um, uh, I get why people think this is going to be a deal that only the Israelis could love. I understand the perception of that. So he's not saying that we are biased against it. We are biased in favor of Israel. He's saying that out there, there are individuals whose subjective personal perspective is that this administration is biased towards Israel. So that's a statement in attribution. That's not him actually making that claim. But that's not what the CBC said. Um, in this instance, they, they did acknowledge that, well, the person who really made that standpoint was another person they'd interviewed, a guy uh, who's in, in uh, the, one of the, the Democratic and the Republican administrations who had done an interview with the CBC a little bit before. So they've actually misrepresented the statement of Secretary of State Pompeo and uh, as being beholden in a sense to the American uh, uh, the Israeli administration uh, and right and that's a kind of an anti-Semitic canard that we're kind of sensitive to we have to be right we have to be we even had uh, with the CBC uh, about a year ago CBC put out uh, on their a program called The Weekly which was hosted by Wendy Mesley uh, an entire 30 minute program that um, that it was really similar to a, an odious Jewish conspiracy theory about how wealthy Jews uh, control the American administration, pointing to Sheldon Nadelson as um, uh, sort of enabling an Israeli tail wags the American dog. Um, we had an article a couple months ago on on CBC's website that had um, uh, talked about how there were. Um, Israelis, uh, sorry, Canadians who serve in uh, in the Israeli military, what are called lone soldiers, right. and claiming that these soldiers are frankly equivalent to recruits for ISIS, um, and that these people have dual loyalties, wow. dual loyalties with respect to Israel and Canada. Now we know that the actual definition of anti-Semitism st- stipulates, and this is agreed upon by Canada, the U.S., the EU, throughout the world. That when you accuse somebody of a dual loyalty, um, it's it's an anti-Semitic claim. And CBC wrote an entire article about that. We called them out for it. We named and shamed them, and they did atone for it. They did acknowledge major shortcomings in their reporting due to a, a lot of different reasons. A lot of the the real reasons they never acknowledged in a, a public, uh, real transparent way. But uh, they their actual ombudsman wrote a scathing investigation and report. Uh, which faulted CBC for putting out really horrible news coverage. 
and, and you know, to CBC's credit, that they did so. Uh, but again, people were terribly misled. They were misled into believing that that when a Jew from Toronto elects to to do something incredibly patriotic by serving in the Israeli military, that what they're doing is the equivalent of ISIS recruits. How outrageous is that? Right. Yeah. Totally outrageous. And, and I mean, kudos to Honest Reporting for getting the CBC to kind of retract that position. But does it, do you find that it does any work in the long run? Meaning you're constantly finding issues with CBC's reporting and getting them to issue apologies, but the overall structure and bias appears to be the same. Is that effective or essentially that's your role, which is to know that, to let them know that there's somebody looking over their shoulder and that, you know, you're keeping them honest. So I'm going to answer that in a couple of ways. The first is to say that the media tell us that the, our successes will never know in the fact that they're, when they're thinking about covering a story, uh, in advance of that actually packaging a story, they're going to think, they tell me that they, they think they know that honest reporting is watching them, then on that basis, we can't just have three anti-Israel sources, but we have to balance it. So without even doing anything, quite frankly, we're successful because it forces the CBC to put out, or and other news organizations, to at least strive towards equality. Uh, to your point, you know, the, unfortunately, we may be in a battle that that uh, that we're in to lose. Uh, we're up against the media's juggernaut, which is huge. Its reach is, is overwhelming. Uh, but we have to deal with, you know, this is a war of attrition. Uh, it's a battle. And, and there's, speaking of attrition, I mean, there, there's a lot of that in, in the news business. So while we may sensitize a journalist, uh, today, he may not be there in six months because he's changed the beat. And then we'll have to build a relationship with somebody new. So we're, and we're always having to, to re-educate people because they, uh, they're not so, um, um, understanding of, of certain sensitivities. I gotta tell you, even, even the issue of the dual loyalties, I think the journalists didn't really get it. They didn't understand why it was such a, uh, a defamatory, uh, uh, claim. Uh, and, and, and that's why we're hoping to build a, a relationship with different journalists so that they are sensitized about these kind of issues. And you alluded to it before why you think the CBC has this kind of institutional bias against Israel. Any other thoughts as to why that is? Yeah, there, there's no question there is um, a herd mentality that has taken place in the CDC. Um, people of, of a certain like mind, uh, why they gravitated towards our public broadcaster, it's hard to say. Perhaps it's in, in the hiring practices of the CDC. Uh, if I were to ask the CBC, and I have, you know, who, who would you say are journalists who are uh, supportive of either conservative issues or pro-Israel uh, issues, they would be hard-pressed to find them. Uh, and and it reflects the agendas of different news programs. It's why, like, you know, when we had uh, news outlets like the Sun News Network, which actually talked about Israel in a much different light, uh, I thought it was a very healthy uh, thing for uh, the, the breadth and dynamic part of our community in, in the media. That doesn't exist much. We don't have a, a healthy balance of news sources. And... I'm okay with if you're a news organization that is more often critical of Israel, so long as we have a balancing viewpoint, perhaps in another organization that that could uh, could shed a, a light on on other issues. But we don't have that. We have a very slanted uh, uh, kind of a 
news providers that are out there. Okay, so let's talk about those other news providers and round up. So what's your assessment of Globe and Mail, National Post, some of the others that might be out there as well? Yeah, so the Globe has put, has put out incredibly problematic coverage as of late. Um, for some news organizations, it may not necessarily be on their reporting. Um, oftentimes it's, it's on the basis of their editorial line. Uh, and on the basis of the comments, uh, 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 op-eds and, and different works of punditry that they put out. Uh, the Globe is a news organization that I'd like to see more, uh, to a degree, pro-Israel commentary on their opinion pages. We don't see that. We see a lot of critical uh, uh, commentaries on the Globe. Same with the Toronto Star, um, with the exception of, you know, a columnist like a Rosie DeMano. Uh, you know, and over the weekend we had uh, a columnist named Tony Berman who wrote a very nasty uh, column about Israel and the peace process. Um, and when it comes down to punditries, I'm totally okay with somebody uh, harboring a negative opinion towards Israel. You just want to see balance. I just want to see balance, and um, I always say that you're you're uh, entitled to your own opinion. You're just not entitled to your own facts. So, uh, but oftentimes the you know. Even even columnists will skew the news and skew the facts, and and they're not allowed to. So if if you write a work of opinion that contains a factual error, it's not okay. And we and we've dealt with so many issues, and they will put out corrections. Sometimes when they are not accountable, uh, we will take it to an uh, like a uh, an arbiting body, like a, a press council, whether it's the Canadian Broadcast Standards Council. Whether it's one of the uh, the Canadian News Media Council, any of the press councils, there because there are those times when you know what, it's not okay what they did. It set a precedent. We have to deal with things on the basis of principle, and we can't let them get away with it. Uh, and and a lot of the times, uh, that kind of being able to resort to one of these governing bodies, it does ensure accountability. Right. Without which they could do whatever they want, and that's not that's not a good sign for a healthy, stable democracy. Right. Um, and so are there any outlets which you think are more positive than the National Post? I'm kind of throwing a softball for you here. I'm assuming that the National Post has a more positive disposition towards Israel. I mean, there's no question about it, right? Um, why that is the case, perhaps it's on the basis of the ownership structure of the Post, uh, which is owned by Post Media. Perhaps it's also on the basis of the kind of people who are at uh, the editorial and journalistic levels. Uh, there's no question that when it comes to the National Post, it's, it's regarded in Canada probably as the most pro-Israel news outlet. Um, articles are, by and large, really supportive of Israel. Or if they're critical, they're they're done critically with professionalism and, and adherence to different standards. Certainly when it comes to works of opinions, there is, uh, you know, the pantheon of uh, pro-Israel pundits on on. The post's uh, 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 broadsheet on a weekly basis. There's just there's no comparison. So I, listen, some people would say that on the basis that the post is so pro-Israel, it kind of balances off the Toronto Star, which is anti-Israel. Uh, you know, that, that's one prerogative. I don't have a problem with that per se. Uh, but I'd like to see more uh, pro-Israel media outlets out there. Right. I would imagine that. What you read or, you know, the type of media that you consume 
kind of you have a predisposition towards it. So if you let's say you're somebody who's naturally supportive of Israel, so you buy the National Post, or you know vice versa. If you you know are more negative, you buy the Globe and Mail, and just kind of uh, reinforces your own opinion. But I guess what you're arguing is that first of all, there's probably a lot of people in the middle, and secondly, it's good to have a diverse group of opinions to let people you know, decide for themselves. Yeah. So what, what you're pointing to is called confirmation bias, which is, you know, if I'm, uh, let's say a Republican, strong C conservative, perhaps I would digest Fox News more so than, you know, the Washington Post or, um, watch Hannity or, or some of the other programs because that's where my political viewpoint is. But to your point and what I'd said previously, yeah, I definitely want people to be open minded and to be media literate. To have, um, you know, about all kinds of issues, but let's talk Israel and the Middle East for, uh, because that's what we're talking about today, uh, to, to be well-rounded. Uh, so I, I would like people to read the star because, uh, you know, that, that's where we have to have our attention, not disregarding the post, uh, because I think that it's a, it's a great, uh, product in and of itself, but we, we have to have a, a good analysis of everything that's out there. Right. What do you think about kind of the trajectory of things, the way things are going now? You know, let's say with university campuses, it seems to be that they're skewing um, more left or anti-Israel, uh, the BDS movement. Uh, I don't know if this is just something that is fed to us and we feel like, you know, uh, this is really happening and we're a little bit more alarmist about it than it actually is. Or do you see this as a problem and do you kind of see the long-term arc here as problematic for, you know, the people who are in your business. Yeah, so I, I don't have a problem with us being alarmist when uh, to be a Jew and a pro-Israel supporter on campus is dangerous. I think we do have to have a rallying cry that when people try to brand pro-Israel supporters as, uh, as, as equivalent of ISIS and, and the Nazis, that we have to stand up and do so forcefully. Uh, I can, I, I can, I sympathize with, with students on campus today who go in there and it's it's really tough um you know and I, I speak to students all the time and they they will act they will tell me like they're intimidated uh to to walk around with uh with, a, with the israeli flag they're intimidated to have them a magenda bead necklace or to even wear a kippah uh it, to go to certain rallies to stand up uh for israel to stand the jewish state in high esteem um, and that's largely because there is a very pervasive and well-funded and well-oiled effort on campus uh, to intimidate Jewish students. We see this regularly, whether it's uh, even at the high school level, not necessarily university, but certainly university, where you, you know, to, it was a couple of months ago that we un, somebody un, unfurled a, uh, a pro, like a, the Israeli flag and it was, it was vandalized and taken down. You know, I, I can't imagine what it's like to, to be in that kind of an environment. Schools are supposed to be a forum for academic discourse to be challenged. Yes, hotly debated, but respectfully done. And we live in a world which is, you know, opinions are being hijacked by what's called the heckler's veto, where um, you'll you'll have a pro-Israel speaker who will come on campus, and then there because there is a fear that the anti-Israel detractors will either try to suppress that speech or perhaps amount violence, it makes the pros or organization have to absorb incredible um, security-related costs and then likely even perhaps cancel the event. We had a guy like uh, Erwin Kotler, former Justice Minister of Canada, one of the most pro-Israel advocates, human rights defender of the world, 
probably will get a Nobel Peace Prize, who uh, a, about a week or so ago at uh, an interview that he was doing at a, in a public forum and, and with an audience, uh, anti-Israel uh, activists took, uh, they went onto the stage and took the microphone from him and wouldn't allow the event to continue. It was heckling him, calling him, uh, uh, you know, a, a sympathizer towards an apartheid regime. And that's how um, militant the anti-Israel organizations are. Um, you know, they, they, they talk a good game of being tolerant to divergent viewpoints. And yet they're the ones who uh, want to stifle and stymie uh, the viewpoints of the pro-Israel community. Uh, but that's what's out there. And, uh, you know, we have the Al-Quds rally that was here in Toronto, where you have speakers who are calling for Israel to be destroyed, um, eliminated from the face of the earth. We have, um, on that basis, even on a, a criminal perspective, uh, we have a, a lack of an inclination from our government and police officials to get involved, to criminalize hate speech. And yet, these are people who will advocate, and I've been at some of these rallies, where they'll say, I'm going to take out a gun, and I'm going to shoot Israelis in the head. And even that, even that clear-cut incitement to violence is not considered by our Attorney General to be enough to prosecute for a criminal conviction. And now it sounds insane. Wow. But that's the kind of threshold that we live in. Um, from the media bias perspective, there was a rag that was disseminated. I don't know if it came here to, to the core offices or to your community. There's a paper called Your Reward News. Right, I heard about uh, this. Which was sent out through Canada Post um, because they had, had uh, they paid for it. And it was the most anti-Semitic thing you would ever see. Anti-Semitic caricatures. They, it was basically like you were reading Dear Sturmer um, in the 1930s. And it was going throughout uh, throughout the GTA. And, and to, to the Canadian government's credit, they, they stopped the publication from being transmitted. And this is the one instance, you know, not notwithstanding, you know, Jim Keekstra and Ernst Zundel, where there has been prosecution for hate crimes. And it has gone to that level and, and has been successful. Uh, this is from the editor of the paper and the publisher being, I believe, convicted for hate crimes because uh, the question was, did they willfully disseminate hate, uh, hate propaganda? And, uh, and the government and the courts, uh, argued that they did and, and uh, were, and were convicted. Right. So that's good. So there are some victories, but it sounds sure. like this is, especially on university campuses, is an uphill battle. Yeah. Um, I myself, you know, I went to, to university in the, the late 90s and then even went back again for a second stint just around two, 10 years ago. And I never experienced anything remotely close to what you're describing. So do you kind of, are you pessimistic in terms of if these are our university graduates today, then, you know, they're going to be the people who are in leadership in 5, 10, 15 years down the road. So are you pessimistic about the direction that we're going in? I absolutely am. Um, I, I see the rising tide of anti-Semitism. I mean, a couple of years ago, it wasn't as bad. There's no question. I mean, the, the stuff that I have to deal with and my colleagues have to deal with, well, it used to be occasional, and now it's very regular. So the pace, the quantity, and the quality of the issues that we're dealing with, it's much more pervasive. Uh, I'll tell you about uh, in, in Montreal, uh, there's a paper, it's called the McGill Daily, which actually the editorial position of the newspaper is that um, the column section must be Judenrein. So literally, to, to have pro-Zionist opinions is not allowed. Right, Jews are officially, you know, supporters of Israel are officially banned wow. from the student newspaper 
at McGill University. How insane is that? Right, the bastions of free speech and thought and mm-hmm. what have you. Yeah. Wow. So, so you're, so you're pessimistic. So basically what you're saying is there is more of a role for honest reporting as the years are going to go on. I believe so. I believe, and I think there is more of a, I think our administrators, at least from my perspective, seem to be timid to get involved in issues where somebody's being discriminated. They don't want to come off as if they, they're getting involved in issues where they, God forbid, restricting free speech, even though sometimes that speech and some of the efforts um, put put Jews and supporters of Israel at great risk and great peril. I mean, I, if I were to point to an example, like when uh, in 2002, when Netanyahu, uh, the current Israeli prime minister, came to Canada, came to Montreal, went to Concordia, and what happened? Right. There was a horrible riot. We don't want that to happen again. Um, but there are many examples of Jews on campus who are being threatened with actual violence. So what about this argument that basically they put forward, which is that, no, I, I can be uh, anti-Zionist against the state of Israel, but I, that doesn't mean I'm anti-Semitic. So I, you know, I love my Jewish friend down the street, but yet I hate Israel. So that means that I'm, I'm not anti-Semitic at all. What about yeah. that argument? So I would say, what other country, I would ask them, what other country do you deny their right to to live in their own historic homeland. And what what other country do you deny uh, a people's you know who have a, a unique creed, religion, and race uh, the right to self determination? If they are exclusively focusing on Israel, uh, then yes, that is anti-Semitism. That is in the definition. And if they are denying the Jewish people the right to to statehood, to to a, a sovereign land of their own, their own ancestral historical homeland. Then that's a hundred percent bigoted. You can't you can't be uh, anti-Zionist without being anti-Semitic. They are one and the same. They may not realize it. They may say, you know what? I've got uh, my accountant is a Jew, my lawyer is a Jew. I have friends who are Jews. That's nice. That doesn't make you not an anti-Semite. And by the way, even Jews can make anti-Semitic statements. They can be self-hating Jews. That can. They, there are times when um, criticism of Israel crosses the line into, into anti-Semitism. An example that, that I'll, I usually give is when you draw comparisons of uh, contemporary Israeli policy to that of the Nazis. So I, I oftentimes come across uh, commentators who will say what Israel is doing to the Palestinians is akin to uh, you know, either the Warsaw Ghetto. Uh, they're, they're creating concentration camps for the Palestinians. You know, these horribly offensive and billowous comparisons and, and when you do so, obviously they're unsubstantiated, but when you do so, um, it's actually anti-Semitic and it's venomous and it's, it's, it's really quite painful. Right. Well, this is somewhat depressing. Maybe let's, uh, we'll, I don't let, mean it to be. Yeah, no. I don't mean it to be depressing. Well, well, yeah. well let's, let's bring it back here as we kind of come to a conclusion here and, and perhaps bring it, um, full circle. You discussed at the opening that this in some ways for you was a little bit of a spiritual awakening that you had and that's kind of what led you here. Can you theorize as to some of the underpinnings of anti-Semitism in general? I think that, you know, this is probably the world's oldest hatred, the hatred of the Jews. And so, you know, it uh, must come from somewhere. And I don't think it's just the fact that, you know, there's some reporters at the CBC who, you know, are have a left-wing bias. There's obviously something subconscious or perhaps even spiritual about it. So 
Can you theorize on that regard at all? Yeah, well, I mean, the first thing I would say is there is no logical um, rationale or consequence for anti-Semitism. It's not like our bigots say, because Israel did this, because Jews did this, I hate Israel. You know, you can't, there, there's no causation that you can rationalize and say, okay, that, that explains it away. Um, I can speculate as to, as to the motives of people. I think to a degree, um, there are people who are bigoted because, uh, of a perceived jealousy. Um, it may be subconscious. It may, it may be conscious of Jews, the contribution to, of the Jews to the world. Uh, I think for some people, um, again, conscious or unconscious, uh, whether it's, you know, us being the light unto the nations and having a particular role, uh, for, for some people recognizing, well, Jews, uh, are the carrying card for morality in the world. And they don't want to acknowledge that they have a responsibility to ensure the integrity of morality. I'm not talking about adherence to religious concepts, but strict morality. And then they, they kind of recognize, okay, we can't just live in a world and be animals. We are dictated by God-given rules. Uh, and I think they, to a degree, again, subconscious largely, uh, are rebelling against a rules-based uh, world. So subconsciously rebelling against the morality that Jewish people um, through God have given to the world. I believe so. I believe it's as simple as that. You can look for a lot of different uh, explanations. Um, I think for, for the lion's share of people the, the, that are bigots and that hate Israel, that they don't want to live in a world where they actually have to follow or follow simple rules and, right. and sometimes difficult rules to follow. Right. So I guess the antidotes to that, if you if you spoke to the rabbis, they would say that it's incumbent upon Jewish people to continuously reinforce our um, you know our observance and our commitment to to the Torah. And I think that if we spoke to people on the ground uh, like yourself. <clears throat> Say we we got to keep keeping these media agencies honest. Yeah, listen, our our role as Jews is to be kiddush Hashem's, to to do God's work and to be the best ambassadors for for the Jewish people and for the state of Israel. Um, how if if people take that and get jealous, then so be it. But it it's it's our it's our right and our, it's our responsibility. So if anybody wants to get involved more with Honest Reporting Canada, how should they do it? Absolutely. I'm glad you mentioned. So our website is www.honestreporting.ca. Uh, you can sign up to receive our bi-weekly media action alerts. We're entirely free. We're a nonprofit. And uh, we don't spam. And uh, you can contact us by phone. Uh, it's 416-915-9157. My email is mike at honestreporting.ca. Uh, we're here to help in, in, in any way we can. Um, so it, we can help you write and draft a letter. We can help you contact the media if it's not even related to media issues, but want uh, more knowledge on an issue to be educated about a certain topic. Uh, our, our staff are there for you. Mike Fagelman from Honest Report in Canada. Thanks for coming on the Corecast. It's my pleasure. Thanks, Richard. Well, that's our show for today. I know, so hard to say goodbye. So if you enjoyed the Corecast, you can find an archive of our episodes on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and on the COR website at cor.ca. See you next time on the Corecast.